This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. It's a great pleasure to welcome uh, Linda Ruth Cutts, Ajun Roshi, Linda Ruth Cutts, uh, who entered Zen practice in 1971 and has lived at all three practice places of San Francisco Zen Center, mostly at Green Gulch Farm. Uh, where she lives with her husband, Steve Weintraub. And Agent has been a priest since 1975 and is a Dharma successor of uh, Tenshin Roshi Rev Anderson. And among her many offerings to the Dharma world, to us, has been many, many years of service as abbess of San Francisco Zen Center in one form or another, uh, co-abbess, from 2000 to 2007, and then abiding abbess at Green Gulch Farm for four years. And then uh, she leapt into the uh, tragic breach uh, that was created by the early death of Myogen, uh, Abbot Myogen Steve Stuckey, uh, to become uh, abbess again um, <laughs> after his death um, for another several years. And she remains senior Dharma teacher at San Francisco Zen Center. I. I have a very warm spot in my heart for her because my first practice period at Tassajara in 2006 was with her and uh, I, uh, I've never forgotten that practice period and I've always been delighted to encounter her since. So I'm very pleased that she's here with us today. Thank you, Adrian, for being with us. Good morning, everyone. It's, it's really um, wonderful to to see some of you I know, some of you I don't know. I, I'm looking at the grid. I, I think I see Mako, yes, and Tim and Chodoro, thank you for your introduction, and Tracy. And I've, I'm just going to peek at the other pages to look at you. Yes, some of you I, I've met at. Uh, some branching streams events. So thank you very much for coming to the talk this morning. Uh, right before the talk started, I, I had a little mishap. I overturned an incense burner with ash in it. And if you've ever done that, you know what a mess that is. And I've been sneezing. <laughs> sneezing and vacuuming uh, this space. So we'll see what happens uh, as I go along here. I want to thank Mako uh, for inviting me to come to Austin virtually. I've always enjoyed my visits to Austin uh, over the years and staying, staying and visiting for a few days. And Choro, thank you very much for the invitation as well. Um, Choro didn't mention, but we share uh, speaking Italian and sometimes we get to speak Italian together. So uh, today is, uh, it's a, a really, uh, potent kind of day. It's, it's Halloween. I have no idea how people will be uh, celebrating that. Um, 
It's also a blue moon. It's the second full moon of October. And I know you had your full moon ceremony a few days ago. Uh, but coming, I walked to the Zendo this morning. Uh, we are sitting at Green Gulch in the Zendo again. Uh, distanced, masked, no chanting in the Zendo, doors and windows open. Those of you who know the Green Gulch Zendo, it, it was originally a barn. And maybe we're one of the few Zendos in the world, I don't know, that can actually, where we can sit together, all the doors and windows are open. And I, I just wanted to tell you a, a kind of delightful thing that happened uh, the day before yesterday while we were sitting with all the doors open a um, silver fox kind of pranced next to the door on the on the hillside not the lawn sign for those of you who know and then he came right in and came right up to where attention or she was sitting about three feet in front of him <laughs> and it, and attention uh, or she Reb said he had a tail big long tail and so it was a you know full animal stayed for a little bit and then scampered off. So I think maybe this winter we will have interesting visitors come in to the Zendo and join us. And for those of you who know the koan about Haku, Haku Joe and the fox, it was, I don't know, there was something quite amazing and wonderful about a fox actually entering our Zendo. Um, I, I stopped off at your website to see a, your Sajiki ceremony took place last night, and that was virtual as well. Yes, I just congratulate you for the effort and the creativity to, to be able to offer that ceremony. Uh, just to mention, Mako, while she was at Tassahara, was instrumental in encouraging us and establishing um, the Obon, Obon ceremony, which is not exactly the same as Sajiki, but very similar um, at Tassahar during the summer, during August, which the guests um, have enjoyed over the years. And uh, I listened to you chanting the Kanromon Mako, and it was I think it was just wonderful to have that all online and have people able to participate. Um, just a, a few, I, it, to me, there's, there's a number of um, strands of this braid that has come up for me when asked to give this talk. I know that uh, refuge is the theme of your fall practice period. And, uh, you know, this, it, it seemed to be quite apt to be studying and turning and entering what refuge, what is refuge, what is taking refuge, what is taking refuge in the three treasures. And the full moon, of course, traditionally, was a day when uh, 
you know, 2,500 years ago, the full and new moons were uh, the markers for the Sangha to come together and hear teachings. And, and it, it evolved that, well, let's make sure that everybody who's here in the assembly is kind of on the same page, is, um, has the same set of guidelines and precepts and shingi that we're all following. Um, so eventually there became the practice of reciting the precepts and, and then also giving a chance for people who hadn't been following the precepts to say, I acknowledge and admit that I was not observing this precept. And so it became a combination, which is our, our full moon ceremony, the shortened version of this, of um, avowing our ancient twisted karma, our voluntary actions that may not be in alignment with our true self and with our precepts and giving us a chance to admit, acknowledge and avow. And part of that um, confession and repentance, part of our ceremony on full moon and also before we receive precepts is really essential kind of clear the decks to kind of come back into alignment by acknowledging where we've been uh, off maybe and not in alignment with our, with how we want to live. So this um, uh, avowing our ancient twisted karma is traditional before receiving precepts and full moon ceremony in particular. Um, so before we receive or take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha in the Triple Treasure, we do first do the practice of either with a particular form of avowing our karma or the formless way of avowing our karma, which is just to sit upright in zazen. This is another way of coming back into alignment. So every day, I, th I don't know for your daily service if you have um, all my ancient twisted karma to start out uh, service in the morning, but each day by sitting, avowing our karma, we, we come back into alignment and are refreshed actually. And, and it's not about guilt or how, what a terrible person I am or I'll never get this right or anything. It's just, oh, I notice this, um, this is not how I want to live and not the kind of actions of body, speech, and mind that I, I want to put out into the world or internally either. And I see that and now... I'm back on track. That's it. Ready, ready for the next moment rather than um, wallowing kind of a, about how terrible we are or how guilty we are.
So um, I trust that the ceremony was meaningful for you all. This ceremony of Sajiki, the meaning, I don't know if Manko went over in detail with you, but the say is means offering or charitable deed, and the jiki is food, and we make this offering, this charitable offering, in conjunction with remembering our our loved ones and those who have died. And this ceremony was brought to Zen Center, San Francisco Zen Center, after Suzuki Roshi died. Chino Roshi, who was really foremost in, I don't know what to call it exactly, priestcraft or ceremonial life, ritual life, and kind of a mystical person. Chino Roshi died very tragically trying to save his daughter from drowning, and they both drowned. Uh, Chino Roshi was extremely gentle, and when he talked with us about this ceremony, he felt it was very important for the Sangha to turn towards the negative, the forgotten, that the shadow, and to put that front and center, and he felt maybe Americans, I'm not sure, um, but the Sangha that, that he founded, Zen Center, was not confronting face-to-face the, uh, this side of our life. It, it, it kind of maybe averted. So this ceremony puts that front and center, the um, discontented, disquieted, restless, uh, thirsting, uh, craving side, you know, that's filled with discontent and searching, you know, without end to find something to fill, maybe a hole that we feel inside of us. So we may all be familiar with this, going through this kind of feeling this state of mind, this state of body-mind over our lives. And this ceremony acknowledges and names this um, as one of the six realms, the realm of the gaki, actually the hungry ghosts. And you had a picture of, of on your website of a a monk, bowing to one of these hungry ghosts. And the hungry ghost image is pretty dramatic, you know, this tiny throat, big belly, uh, symbolizing or, you know, the artist's rendition of a state that thirsts and wishes for comfort and rest and peace and yet cannot find it, and tries all different ways. So in that ceremony, uh, which originated, there were two strands, um, one from Ananda and one from the Buddhist disciple Moggallana. And Moggallana had this 
vision of his mother who had died in the realm of the hungry ghosts, suffering terribly, unable to nourish, unable to take in nourishment. So he brought her food. I think uh, in the story, he went into that realm, but it all turned to coals, red hot coals, and she couldn't take in this sustenance. So that's one story. So he went to the Buddha and the Buddha said, uh, we can do a ceremony, a memorial service for your mother, but you with your own power by yourself cannot do it alone. It takes the whole Sangha to be able to do the ceremony. And I, I find that particular detail that kind of like it takes a village. It takes all of us. We can't, we can't do this on our own, meet the the difficulties of our life. We all need, we need each other. We need Sangha. We need good friends to meet the suffering of our lives. Um, Ananda's story is a little different. He, he had this dream that this kind of demon came with this called a burning face demon. And it said, you're going to, in the dream, you're going to die in, in three days and you're going to go to this hungry ghost realm. And Ananda was terribly frightened. Ananda, you know, the Buddha's cousin and very close disciple, uh, his jisha, his attendant for 25 years, and very sweet. He, he's always shown with kind of fat cheeks a little bit because kind of a sweet person. Anyway, he was very frightened and he went to the Buddha and the Buddha said, well, um, I was given a ceremony by Avalokiteshvara years ago, and we can do that ceremony um, to, to make some changes here and uh, to save you. So these are some of these um, strands, some of these um, way that the ceremony came down to us, the Sajiki. Uh, so, coming back to refuge, which was the, you know, the theme of this, um, often we do feel like we can't receive and can't be nourished. And others may look at you and say, but you're surrounded by good friends. You're surrounded by teaching. You're surrounded um, and yet you can't take it in. This is, a, this is a, a terrible state of suffering. And in the ceremony, we offer beautiful foods and all, but the main food that we offer, the true offering is the offering of Dharma, which uh, is uh, kind of, can be relied on. Often uh, in our life, we take refuge in many different things and think that we can take refuge in many different things. And in, in Suzuki Roshi's teaching and Dogen's teaching and Tenshin Roshi and Okamura Roshi, this taking refuge in the triple treasure as the uh, 
kind of bedrock of the precepts those those are called precepts those first three precepts which are said to be our refuge the triple treasure and our and we can rely on them so that what can best be given to people or hungry ghosts or ourselves is the teaching is the teaching of buddha dharma and sangha so after taking uh after avowing our ancient twisted karma we are ready to take refuge in buddha dharma and sangha so just um saying a few words about the diversity of buddhism you know if you study i think buddhism you know for thousands of years there were countries that had certain uh styles certain teaching certain schools and they didn't necessarily know about other countries or other ways but now at this time we can study and participate in and read scriptures from and in the bay area san francisco bay area there's probably every sect of buddhism from around the world you can find um in the bay area you know i don't know about austin but so buddhism is quite diverse and one particular school or way of practice may feel very strange to another uh another group of practitioners so we, we may not be aware of how diverse buddhism really is however even so the shared among all the different schools and all the different ways of practice one shared commonality fundamental bedrock is taking refuge in the triple treasure in buddha dharma and sangha and that may be even called you know when one becomes a buddhist if you want to speak in that way it's when you take refuge so so taking refuge is um you know we we repeat it all the time we um we're, we're taking refuge verbally uh sometimes without even knowing it for example the um chant jiho san chi yi shi fu shi song bu samo kosa which translate as all buddha's 10 directions which we this is our dedication right after we've done a, a service then we give the merit away well that particular verse is taking refuge in buddha dharma and sangha we start with all buddhas in the 10 directions and the three times and then it goes to all the way our translation is at san francisco zen center maybe at austin is all honored ones bodhisattvas ma bodhisattva mahasattvas that's the sangha all these practitioners and then wisdom beyond wisdom maha prashna paramita that's the dharma 
the teachings, you know, of, of, of wisdom, wisdom and compassion, I would say. So sometimes we don't even realize that we're taking refuge um, regularly, you know. Uh, so what is it to take refuge? You know, the word refuge in English means fly back, refugere, and fly back where? You know, fly back home, fly back in our minds. If we think of an animal refuge, right? What happens to those animals in a refuge? They're safe, we might say. They're safe. They're uh, they're free, free to roam around without, you know, danger. So part of taking refuge is uh, a, a kind of safety and peace, but freedom, a kind of freedom. What are we freed from? I think we're freed from our habitual tendencies and old way of approaching our life, the lives internally and externally. Now, you know, sometimes it feels very rote to say, um, I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma. We, we say it maybe so often that it doesn't um, ring true or it's not alive. So I think that's something to look at, uh, you know, when does it lose the spirit and liveliness of actually what we're saying? We we also chant Buddham Saranam Gachami to the Buddha. I go for refuge. Saranam is this shelter or refuge um, in in the Pali, and then. We uh, we go in the triple when we do the triple refuge. I take refuge in Buddha Dharma and Sangha. Then I take refuge in Buddha as the perfect teacher, and sometimes this is as the great physician. You know, uh, someone who can heal. I take refuge in Dharma as the perfect teaching or sometimes we can find as good medicine this is the medicine for what ails us and i take sangha i take refuge in sangha as the perfect life or taking refuge in our good friends our sangha as good friends and nurses you know in this analogy of the physician the medicine and the nurses not i think back in the day there wasn't like a professional nurse corps or something but people were nurse nursed each other right at home family members good friends which still happens today so i think that word nurse doesn't mean a professional nurse necessarily but ministering to taking care of one another and then the third in the triple 
uh, refuges. I have completely, now I have completely. So it seals it, you know, the three times, saying it three times seals it. For, for those of you who've received Buddha's precepts, you know, in the ceremony itself, maybe we're so concentrated and so full of devotion and reverence and open, so open to receiving the triple treasure. And what comes with that is great joy, great joy. So this turning our life to want to receive and take, we say take and receive the precepts, taking refuge in the triple treasure. This is a turning within us uh, that can be huge. You know, when we're little, we take refuge. Some of you may have had, probably all of you, I would think, had a, a stuffed animal or a blankie or maybe you sucked your thumb, or there was something that we took refuge in. I was looking for, I still have my stuffed animal, George, who's, um, I got when I was two, so he's 71 years old, and he kind of looks like a hungry ghost. His neck is very, it's like there's no stuffing in the neck anymore, and I, I have it in this memorabilia box, George, which I was looking for this morning, which is partially why I tipped over the incense. But anyway, I couldn't find the memorabilia box. But George, to have George with me was, it, it meant everything, carrying him, sleeping with him, taking him in the car. However, at a certain point, you know, I didn't really want to take George to school, right? It was, it, I was done. <laughs> you know, it doesn't... It won't last your entire lifetime, your transitional object. Or then, then later we take refuge in what we, I'm thinking of. We might take refuge in um, our own, for some, their own beauty. You know, there's all these studies about how in school, those who are considered beautiful by a particular standard get called on in class, you know, little so-and-so who's so cute. So the world gets some, uh, or shall I say, distorted quite a bit if you have great beauty, great intelligence, great wealth, and you might have taken refuge in great cleverness and in intelligence or great physical prowess. However, all of those things will not free us. Not only that, they will change. They do change. They are ungraspable. You can't hold them. They, they aren't reliable as something to take refuge in. Someone else might take refuge when, you know, in intoxicants, right? going to intoxicants for ah, the short-lived sense of peace and feeling free or good or, you know, not 
self-loathing or whatever it is. But as we know, that brings more suffering and more that's a realm of, you know, untold suffering. So at a certain point, due to the ripening of our karmic life, it says that in the precept ceremony, due to the great ripening, the, the fruit of our practice, we have been able to come in contact with the refuges, with even hearing the name, Dogen says, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha is rare. So to have had, not is not good luck, it's not fortune, it's the ripening of our karmic life, the ripening of our own actions, we have been um, able to be exposed to and hear the teaching and, and even the fact of taking refuge, that that's a possibility. This is, this is amazing. You know, this is, and those of you may recognize what I'm going to say, um, which is there is a turning, a turning away from, I'll say, worldly affairs. Not that we, you know, give up all our possessions and, and go and live in the mountains. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about giving up our uh, attachment to all those things I was mentioning, great wealth, beauty, our cleverness, our physical prowess, our, uh, you know, status and all that stuff where we see through it and actually turn to something that we can take refuge in, that we can fly back to and it will support us and free us. And this kind of turning is a huge, um, it's almost unbidden. You can't say, well, I want to turn. It, it, it's a turning that comes. And it may be very quiet. It may be bigger. But it arises in our life stream that we want to take refuge. We want to receive Buddhist precepts, which are based and flow from taking refuge in the triple treasure. This, this arises in us undeniably. And, and then we ask to receive precepts uh, and study and so forth. So um, you know, uh, Suzuki Roshi's wife, Oksan, was a kindergarten teacher and she was asked once, what, what was the most important thing that you taught to your kindergartners, to these little kids? And she said, gasho, palms pressed together. And, you know, the word gasho, what, what does gasho mean? Gasho means, at just the way we use it in, in Sangha, it means thank you very much. It means respect. It means devotion. It means 
um, greeting, I respect you, I care for you. That was what she said was the most important thing to teach these little kids. And I also heard this story recently, and I won't name the names, but there was um, uh, a student who back in the day, this is where we get attached to forms or get attached to our gasho. This person did gasho really, really like just perfect, you know, fists width away, elbows out, just every single time. And there was a visiting um, Japanese priest who said, oh, very nice gasho. Please teach us the meaning of Soto Zen. Which is kind of ironic, I think. <laughs> so we can get attached to, you know, we can get attached to forms. We can get attached to the parts of our practice that are that we feel are um, that we can see and pass on and get good at, right? But the taking refuge in Buddha Dharma and Sangha is is really deeper than that or beyond that. Now, I'm, I wanted to offer something to you that I think when Suzuki Roshi taught this, Dogen teaches this and Suzuki Roshi taught it, um, I think people just totally fell asleep. That That's what I heard about. I don't remember the lecture myself, but, but I've, I've gone over this material and I've found it to be really important. So... So I'm going to offer it. So if you want to go to sleep, that's okay too. Uh, so the 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 triple treasure in, in the in our sixteen bodhisattva precepts, we start out with the triple treasure. I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. What is it we're taking refuge in? Are we taking refuge in? And that's what I want to say. There's you can study those three words in different ways. So there's what's called the manifested triple treasure, which is, I take refuge in Buddha. That would be Shakyamuni Buddha himself was manifested, okay? Dharma would be the turning of the wheel, the, 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 the Dharma talks, uh, from Shakyamuni and the Sangha was the the people who actually studied with him, the first five who opened to the first turning of the wheel and the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. So those are the manifest, those are called the manifested triple treasure. What did Shakyamuni Buddha awaken to? And that is called the one body triple treasure. So it's not Shakyamuni. Shakyamuni was, Shakyamuni Buddha was the awakened one. What did he awaken to? And what he awakened to was the unsurpassed, complete, and perfect Dharma, which in this description is the unity or the fact that we're all one with no exception. Shakyamuni Buddha woke up to that one 
body realities. These are called the one body triple treasure. The, the, the one body dharma, so the one body's Buddha is unsurpassed complete enlightenment and the oneness of all things. The dharma is that the 10,000 things, the multiplicity, the myriad dharmas are all empty of separate self. And even though there's innumerable beings and they're all different, they all share this oneness of being empty of separateness. That's the one body dharma. And the one body sangha is the harmony between the myriad things and the oneness. It's like Sando Kai, right? The San, the uh, harmony of difference and unity. That's, that's Sangha, is harmony. So we have the manifested triple treasure, which is the most, like 2,500 years ago, kind of the triple treasure manifested as Buddha the turning of the Dharma wheel and the people who practice with them, what they awakened to and taught was this one body triple treasure. And then there's a third, there's actually a fourth, but there's a third which is called the maintained triple treasure or sometimes called the cultural triple treasure. And in, in that there's various ways to think about this, but the, the maintained is how do we maintain Buddhist teaching and the Dharma? It was passed on word of mouth for, for a long time, but what kind of supports, if we're going to gather the causes and conditions to, to support and maintain taking refuge in the triple treasure, how do we maintain this? So the maintaining, the maintained Buddha are Buddha figures, Buddha iconography, stupas, temples, you might say. This is, this is the maintained Buddha treasure. It's a treasure, right? The Dharma treasure are the scrolls, the writing of the sutras, the books that we have now, you know, used to be handwritten scrolls, but now it's libraries full of dharma books and this is the maintained dharma and and we wrap our study books in cloth to show our devotion and care for the dharma this taking refuge in dharma maintained in this way through actual objects and then the maintained uh sangha of this three-part way of looking at the triple treasure are you know all the people down through the ages who have practiced and are practicing now uh, in harmony bringing harmony and uh, you know their practices 
which might be if someone's ordained, they might wear robes and shave their heads and do these. This is maintained sangha. So I, I offer this because to me, it kind of opened up this window into what is it that we're taking refuge in actually? You know, I think this one body taking refuge in our awakened nature is the most fundamental, you might say. And then out of this, Buddhas appear, teachers appear. This is manifested. Teachings are offered and passed down. And, and then we take care of creating spaces to sit and practice and practice our devotional life. So temples and um, sitting groups and your own home altar, which I can see in some of your pictures. This is, this is the maintaining. And they all three work together. And if you just have one without the other, it's not alive enough. It's not free. It won't free you. Just offering incense to a Buddha statue without understanding that you yourself, and this is this is the one body Buddha. Buddhas and sentient beings are one, are not two. Buddhas in the past, whereas we, we in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors. These teachings, not just rote religious activity. So the, the depth of, of our um, understanding of, of what it is to take take refuge in the triple treasure. That's at the beginning of our precepts. And then way at the bottom, the 10th of the prohibitory precepts is a disciple of the Buddha does not disparage the triple treasure. So the beginning and the end of our 16 Bodhisattva precepts are bringing up this most fundamental Buddha Dharma and Sangha. I think one last thing before um, uh, we open it to Q&A, is this turning that I was talking about that can happen with, within you of wanting to live a life based on these kinds of things rather than what I'm calling worldly affairs or what the Dogen calls worldly affairs. Worldly affairs doesn't mean we're not in the world, doesn't, don't have jobs, families. That, I'm not saying that, but to be... Uh, caught by the things of the world uh, leads to suffering. So this, this turning that happens happens in the context of what, what um, is called kano doko, or a kind of spiritual communion between the practitioner and the Buddha, or your preceptor, or your teacher, or where you you actually feel some joy and connection. In Japanese, it's kano doko, and the um, 
sometimes it's, um, I, I have the characters here, it's mutual affinity and interaction. This is um, Tanahashi-san's uh, Kano Doko. This mutuality, because our own nature is awakened nature, it responds and resonates and rever reverberates, which is a great word, with the teachings and a teacher or precepts because that's our nature. So it's this mutual affinity that happens. And Dogen says, that's where taking refuge, you know, and taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha is in the context of this mutual communion and affinity. Pema Chodron calls it resonance of awakening. This kind of moving with which is our own nature. So there's a kind of trust that our true nature is Buddha nature, which doesn't destroy human nature, our limited human nature in harmony with unsurpassed complete enlightenment is our Buddha nature. The interfusion of our limited human sentient beingness with the uh, big mind. That interfusion and that harmony that's there, that is our Buddha nature. So, I think that's maybe all that I wanted to offer. Thank you very much for your attention. And do we do um, a break or anything or just go right into Q&A? We usually go right into Q&A. Okay. Um, <clears throat> If that's all right. Yes. And should I call on blue hands? Is that, um, or? We, uh, we usually put up our hands, but we can do blue hands if, uh, if that's easier. Um, either way, Let, let's, I'll do gallery view and look for hands. I'll, I'll just, if I'm missing somebody, I'm on the first page. The second page does, doesn't have a lot of people showing as does the third page so uh, help me with if you see hands okay if you have a question it would be nice to see you when you ask your question if possible <clears throat> questions i don't see any questions um i have one okay Yes. So um, it was a very rich talk and I want to thank you. And I also want to ask, is it, can we say maybe even provisionally that we take refuge in the precepts? I think, I think we can say that because the precepts are the kind of ethical and moral 
life based on these three treasures and the I would say the one body triple treasure so I think we could take refuge in precepts however you know um, there can be a tightness sometimes around that you know especially if we do take a literal a very strong literal view uh, so we have to be aware of that careful of that yeah but i i feel like the precepts you know our zazen mind and precepts or or triple treasure and precepts are non-dual really yeah thank you you know one thing i didn't bring up with you all is this uh that we're in the midst of this pandemic and i i just wanted to uh give you my wishes for your good health and for your safety and protection and um well-being during this time and also this rather scary time i know this is halloween but this um upheaval in our culture and our society with the and the election etc so just wanted to acknowledge that and have that in the room and with taking refuge how does you know that might be something to turn how does taking refuge in the triple treasure meet us during these un uh unstable times right yeah yes karen um thank you um yeah i've been i was thinking about that just before you you said the last your last statement um about harmony and um how sort of difficult it feels to find sort of harmony um, in these times and both figuring out when to participate in what feels like disharmony in the world. Um, and then also I think, I feel like many of us feel under stress and so our interactions might end up being more conflict especially having to do things on zoom and not being in real time and um i guess how to th think about those those things and what harmony actually is I, I guess sort of comes back to that thing of feeling feeling bad when you feel like you've you know violated things or 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 trying to figure out how to participate in ways that maintain harmony yes thank you for bringing that up yeah i think you know what is true harmony there's there's something maybe you're familiar with called um negative harmony i think it's called where you're in a situation and you just make nice and and cover over and kind of make it go away and don't bring it up and and then get out of there you know and it's harmony sort of nobody you know 
was in active conflict and however it it's not it doesn't last it doesn't serve it doesn't feel true right so sometimes we opt for and maybe for our own protection depending on the situation just um keeping things quiet you know keep a lid on it however true harmony is i think different from that and you know when we chant um i take refuge in sangha before all beings bringing harmony to everyone freed from hindrance you know, on the full moon so the sangha's job maybe is to bring harmony harmony um may be that you put yourselves put ourselves in make an effort to understand and listen to what somebody else is talking about or going through and realize that what you're going through and what you experience is unique to you this is this is true our subjectivity our the way we see the world our unconscious biases our likes and dislikes our preferences our take on the whole situation is unique to us based on our karma our education our all of it and we don't share it actually with other people you like completely there's overlap some of you know however our sense of things is our sense of things and to realize that is very humbling mm. rather than because the other person has the same thing so that to me that's harmonizing realizing this is my sense what is their sense of things what is their reality and can i learn from that that to me creates harmony and it is stressful but it's often stressful when we're thinking why can't they see it my way you know how could how could what and to be grounded enough to know that it is a different world that will live and die with that person and i think in in terms of our work for racial harmony and equity and our diversity work this is essential and our experience it can be shared but it doesn't map on completely it's our world as we experience it so that to me it it is it's kind of a humble place and i think that helps with harmony thank you that that's very helpful i appreciate that welcome thank you thank you for your question uh yes david hi um i i just offer um very similar i, I was thinking very similarly perhaps along the lines of karen um in uh specifically i was thinking about <clears throat> mako's um, dharma talk last week in which we talked about taking refuge um and a lot of it was um centered and mako check my my recounting here 
um, centered around the idea of um, uh, taking refuge um, in the Sangha it doesn't mean that the Sangha will rescue you. It doesn't mean that the Sangha will um, necessarily be that level of support, of course. Um, and also, um, there was a reference to a, a Pema Chodron quote about how we are alone and how we are very, very alone in, in birth and at death. Um, and then I was thinking about your mention of, um, um, perhaps it was Ananda who was confronting the hungry ghosts um, and couldn't do it individually and needed the Sangha to do it. Um, and I just just was noting a contrast there in those perspectives. I think you really just mentioned it right there. What you just said now about the Sangha's job is to bring harmony and recognizing um, that our individual perception, like that is something that we all share. We all share our individual perceptions. So it's a... Uh, um, there's and, and the harmony perhaps is the recognition of our shared uniqueness and our shared individuality. Um, and then perhaps within that, recognizing that uh, brings us together. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that reality that we are, we. We are born alone and we die alone and there's nothing anybody can do this. And our losses, um, you know, everything, you know, the five remembrances are, I am of the nature to be ill. I cannot escape from being or growing old. I cannot escape from growing old. I am of the nature to be ill. I cannot escape from being ill. I'm the nature of the nature to die. I cannot escape from death. Everything I love and all those that I love are of the nature to change. I cannot escape from this, this impermanence. And all of us are right there, you know. And the, the fifth one is my actions are my only belongings. They are the ground on which I stand. So, yes, there's old age, sickness, and death. And we're alone in that. No one can take that away or re remove that. And we will lose that which we love, both things, places, the great earth, you know, the, the, the loss of, of so much in the environment and, of course, those we love. However, we are here on this earth together and we can act in accord with one another so it doesn't take it away the sangha won't or or the practice won't take away those fundamental truths however it will allow us to fully be with others in truth so in that story, that's right, the Buddha said, you can't do it by yourself. So we need, I have a friend who went to study with a teacher and there was, she said, plenty of Buddha and plenty of Dharma, but there was no Sangha. It was like just one other person. 
And the difference between that um, way of practice and practicing with Sangha was huge. The Sangha as treasure will help us to see our shortcomings, where we need to practice more, where we um, are overlooking things, where we're grasping. It's amazing what the Sangha, that's why it's treasure, you know. So, but it won't take away, right? Birth and death, the great matter. Yeah. Thank you. Let's see. I see. Is it Mary? And Richard. There's two Marys. Oh, I'm looking at Mary Meager. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the one... This is a kind of continuation of a stream of thought from a conversation I was having with Mako earlier today, which is that our Sangha is not in a monastic setting. And so it's very easy for us not to turn towards when we have conflict or misunderstanding and we don't necessarily always work towards trying to uh, have this inner subjective experience that you're talking about that can happen when you're meeting in this way as a student with teacher or in community where you're trying to get in touch with your larger interbeing, right? So it, ego can take over and conflict can occur and there's a movement away rather than a dealing with trying to understand each other's experience and repair, which is ultimately for me where intimacy is found. You know, that inner subjective capacity develops, that inner being experience of the joy of connection starts to emerge from that. So I was wondering how you, how you understand what, what your thoughts are about how to support that in a community that's not living monastically. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I feel like most practitioners are not living monastically, really. You know, there's core groups that of, you know, 50 at Tassajara, 50 here and there, you know. So it's, um, and even then, even then when <laughs> people avert from conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, you have to sit next to that person and eat lunch and take a bath with them, still, you can be very skillful at averting from doing the work that needs to be done, right? So, yeah, I think... And, and when you're not living closely, you know, there's big wide spaces before the next time you'll even see the person. So, so for me personally, when, because in taking, we did this conflict training, we had to take this test to see where we were in terms of our conflict style. And I was conflict averse, you know, and other people were like, they head on, you know, eye to eye, let's talk about it, right? And and you can test for that kind of thing, but many people are conflict averse. They just as soon let it be. 
at our own, you know, so I think it's at our own uh, disservice to ourselves, right? Because as you said, um, the intimacy that comes from really listening to someone else and trying to understand and learning a whole different way of, of a whole different take on what happened there between us, right? That the intimacy is, it's, it's, it's marvelous. And, and I think a different kind of relationship gets forged. So for each of us, and maybe this is something the Sangha wants to take up even, you know, do you have things in place for helping with that? People who are good at conflict mediation or can be a facilitator or can um, encourage that because conflicts will come up. That That's part of our life together. There is no harmony. I mean, all the precepts at the Buddhist time came from, you know, there was something that went on in the Sangha and the Buddha said, we should not do that anymore or so-and-so got mad at so-and-so and and the Buddha had to deal with it, right? You can read in the sutras. There's one long, long thing called the quarrel at Katambi and it was about someone not emptying in the latrine, the water jar and and they 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 got, it landed in fisticuffs where they were fighting in the marketplace, these monks. And to make a long story short, the laity said, we're not going to support them anymore. We're not going to give them food anymore. They're not practicing Buddha's way. That was what turned it around. So, you know, we do need one another's help in terms of uh, supporting listening to one another and face-to-face -face working on things. It's scary. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Let's see. I, I see Rich. Yes, yes, thank you. Mary Shepherd as well. After maybe oh. Okay. Was, um, so Mary Shepherd is after Rich. Yeah. Thank you for that talk. That was great. Um, I have a question about the last part that you you ended on the the, the, the point about Buddha nature. Um, is it is it the case that we are in fact separate individuals with our own likes and dislikes and delusions and karmic consciousness? But the awakening to the Buddha nature is when we see that, and we also see that we're one with others and others with that same sort of dilemma of having this delusion of a separate self. Is that, is that what you were saying? Um, or is, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. Yes. Well, the, um, the individuality, the non-repeatableness uniqueness of each being, right? Not only humans, but, each being, right, arises from dependent, it, it's a codependent arising. The entire universe, sponsored by the entire universe, brought forth to bring this manifestation in this form at this moment, right? 
unrepeatable, amazing. And part of, for humans anyway, is our, our ignorance, you know, is that we have a belief in separate self. We, not only self, but objects, right? The, so, you know, Buddha's teaching, maybe the studying that because our senses and our sense doors set up things in a certain way that it looks like objects are out there separate. And we unlearn that through our Buddhist practice and all that objects of our awareness are also empty of own being, right? And our codependent arisings. So all that is part of our Buddhist study. The, the Buddha nature, I think sometimes people think Buddha nature is like a little thing, thingy do inside of us somewhere that we, everybody's got and we hold it and we, everybody's got one or something like that. However, and sometimes you can read certain schools of Buddhism that seem to be supporting that, Tathagata, Tagarbha theory, etc., etc. However, the all beings all together with all their limitations that we were just talking about and uniqueness is empty of separate self and is uh, one with the absolute, let's say. That is the Buddha nature, the interfusion of those two. It's not that Buddha nature is this thing we're trying to get to. It's the way we actually exist in relation to the, you know, we say the absolute, but that's inconceivable what that is, uh, is Buddha nature, is our Buddha nature. So, you know, the Genjo Koan, which I don't, I imagine you chant at some point, um, you know, when Buddhas are truly Buddhas, they don't necessarily understand that they are Buddhas, right? Buddhas are those that are greatly have great realization about delusion, and sentient beings have great delusion about realization, right? So we get it topsy-turvy. Um, so yeah, so this limited being You know, it's limited, unlimited. It's non-dual with the unlimited. Did that illuminate anything? Yes, yes thank you. Okay. That was great. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for your question. Um, Mary Shepard? Yes, I had to remember to unmute. Uh, thank you for your talk. You're welcome. I, I'm grateful. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing your your learnings uh, with our sangha. Uh, somehow, in the in the course of your talk, um, one of the things that uh, was brought to the surface of my mind was, as we were talking of you know we're born alone and we die alone, but I was um, thinking of the toll, our, if we are not careful, toll our death can take on our society. 
um, as I have been listening this week to um, stories of uh, hospitals working um, at capacity. And, and I didn't hear the last thing, working what? Hospitals working at capacity. Yes, yes. And um, contemplating setting up tent hospitals to uh, care for overflow. And a part of um, just this kind of like, it's somehow there's the, the segue of the idea of, um, of, of refuge and patience as a part of getting through and taking care of each other through this uh, pandemic and not succumbing to uh, what is being termed pandemic exhaustion. Yes. So if you uh, had a, a few um, uh, thoughts, of it, I'd appreciate hearing what you thought about ways to encourage our Sangha members and family members in, and friends in sort of um, this different way of life that we are uh, uh, on this road until we can get to where, you know, some vaccine status, which is, um, there's a lot of debate about it, but I would say six months. So we've got six more months. So um, encouraging, you know, in refuge, uh, what, what support, if you have any suggestions or, or thoughts, I'd appreciate hearing those. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing, bringing that up, this difficult, I, I've been calling it pandemic practice. We're in pandemic practice. So just like any other kind of practice, it will take, what, what does it take? It takes um, slowing down. It takes generosity, patience, joyous effort. These are the six perfections, right? Ethical conduct, you know, if you, if you bring those six perfections um, to our pandemic practice, ethical conduct is to wear a mask, you know, ethical conduct is to wash hands, is to distance, right? Um, so to take it up as part of our precept practice, part of our ethical morality, of life, not um, someone trying to uh, take our freedoms away. But so that, you know, being an example, I mean, I talk with many people who say, you know, I'm doing my best, but my family members or some friends, they're very loose. I don't know what to do. But they've made some choices, like not spending time with people who are not practicing pandemic practice in that way. So the, the exhaustion, um, yeah, patience is one of the hardest practice practices. It takes a norm, patience isn't just like sitting around the doctor's office and reading magazines. No, that's kind of hanging out. But patience is when we're faced with something that's not easy, that's difficult, that's painful, that's scary, and to stay with it. So to draw on our resources and 
stay, you know, stay through to the end, you know, and to me is being upright uh, and caring for beings and part of our Bodhisattva vow, really, to live for the benefit of others. What form is it going to take during pandemic practice? Yeah. And in terms of our neighbors and friends and family who are not, who are more casual, one thing is I'm not able to be with you at this time. You know, may, may you understand, however, this is part of my pandemic practice or whatever you say, this is, this is how I need to live right now in an upright way. And so by example, yeah. Those are just a few thoughts. Yeah. And resting and taking good care of ourselves. I think, you know, it is exhausting, this distancing and the just Zoom itself. You know, it's weird. It's thin. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's marvelous that I can be in Austin right now. I mean, there's certain things that are great. However, what I've noticed, you know, at a usual Dharma talk, it ends and then you chat, you have tea, you, you have other ways of, but this, when it's over, when I press that button, you're gone, folks. <laughs> right? And, you know, you don't walk back to your car with a friend and, no, it's over. That's, that's unusual. Uh, that, but we're, it's getting, we're getting more, very used to it. But, uh, so yeah, it's hard and stressful, all these accommodations we've been making. Um, so patience and joyous effort for sure. Yeah. Thank you. For, thank you for your question. Thank you very much. Vote and take good care of yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much, Linda. Bye-bye. Thank you.